Isn't that sweet? Being a dad is such a, an honor and a privilege. It's a high and holy calling. Um, it's also a, a reason that you get to do uh, dad jokes. Um, sort of like, it's not called a dad bod, everybody. It's called a father figure. So. Okay, I'll give you a few of my favorites. Why did the Scarecrow win an award? Because he was outstanding in his field. <laughs> okay, okay. Dad jokes are not overwhelming or underwhelming. They're just sort of whelming. All right? Uh, what does the mermaid use to wash her fins? Tide! And my favorite, why can't dinosaurs clap their hands? Because they're dead. That's all. <laughs> okay, all right. But when you hear the word dad, um, it can evoke a lot of things for us. And it's, at least for me and for many of us, it's a great reminder when I hear that. It helps me remember my why. Um, why I do get to do what I do as a father. And, or as if you're a, a father figure or a grandfather. That this role and mantle that we take on, it is bigger than um, ourselves. Like the first time I ever saw my first child, or either of them really, and you hold them, um, you're, you quickly realize uh, my, whole, my needs are taking a back seat at this point. Uh, whatever my life was like beforehand is going to look very different from this day forward. And of course, it's better that way. That the only way I was going to do this successfully is by faith. That I'm going to care for this little person is by faith. And that, that's actually the place of strength when, I, when, I, when, I, when you acknowledge that and wisdom, and wise action, but that, God, I can't love this child the way they truly deserve. Not fully. Only you can do that. But only you can do that through me, so help me love this child the way that they deserve. Help me lead them the way that they deserve, because on my own strength, I can't do it. You know, that in many ways, fathers and mothers, you are everyday heroes. That, that, That goes unnoticed, unheralded, but the daily sacrifices that we make for our kids and those around us. And if we do it by faith, that God will, will bless our children through us, because God knows that we're fallible. He knows that we're not perfect. And like so many dads out there, I pray for wisdom each day. God, help me do what I need to do to get it right. Uh, as soon as my daughter was born, I began praying for whoever the husband's going to be. Way ahead in advance. You know, I realized also that Father's Day is a difficult day for many, whether we miss our fathers that are not here anymore, or you maybe you never knew your father, or perhaps you associate a lot of negative uh, memories and, and emotions with that relationship. Maybe you struggled with how to, how to honor your father, like the Bible says, um, when a lot of their behavior was not healthy or good for your life. And, you know, you need to know this, that you can still honor the, the station and role they play without honoring the behavior. You can still love the person, but not what they did. And that those sort of wounds, though, they can run really deep in our lives, and they can carry over into other areas of our lives. And we need to acknowledge that. And I lament that, if that's you. But I also would say, I pray today that Father's Day would not just be a place of pain, but it could also be a place of healing could be a place of reconciliation to see that there is a perfect father in heaven that loves you with a perfect love and that it doesn't gloss over what happened in your past but that it, it can help your future be, be better 
based on how God has first loved us. Now the fathers who have gone ahead of us, those who are in our midst, and the mothers of two, of course, they're ordinary heroes, like I said. And we're going to hear today about the prophet Elijah, who needed to hear God's voice during a time of intense burnout and depression, and that he needed to be reminded he wasn't walking alone, and that we need to hear that today as parents and fathers. You know, being a parent, being a father, it's, it's not easy. It's a daily walk of faith in many ways. I heard really good advice one time before we got married um, that said, when you get into an argument with your spouse, don't walk away. Like, don't get in the car and drive off. And, and, and it, you're tempted to, if you've ever been in those situations. Because what you're saying to the other person is, uh, I'm done with this, right? I, I, I don't want to talk anymore. And communication's over, and it just makes it worse. I remember one time, um, we got invited to a little party with other couples, and this couple had a baby um, that was hosting. And we, we were there early, so we showed up. And you, you know when you walk in a room, you can just feel it. You feel something happened. Um, as soon as I walked in this living room, I knew that there had been an argument. And the husband was gone. I don't know where he went. He had driven off. And she was crying. She's holding the baby. And it was just, you know, we had to, you know, get through that, those moments together. And he eventually came back. But I, I had sympathy for him because he was overwhelmed. And they were trying to do all this. And being a father and, a, and, and hosting and all these things, it was a difficult thing. The pressure was really hard, especially when you're young like that. And it can make you doubt yourself and think there's something wrong with me as a person, that my parenting is bad, that I don't have what it takes. And during those times of of anxiety or burnout or feeling overwhelmed, which are very natural, by the way, when we're raising our kids, is to be reminded of your why. Why are you doing what you're doing? And who are you doing it for? Um... The last church I was at, I had a, 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 a woman in the church who, uh, it was a young couple actually, uh, a, wonderful, a wonderful young couple with two little boys, and unfortunately the, the husband got stung by an insect that he was allergic to, and within two days he had passed away. It was very, very sudden. I mean, he was probably his early 30s, very sad situation, and, um, and the church walked alongside her and her small group were with her during that time, and uh, it was just, very, it was just tra- a very tragic thing. And um, she told me a few months into it, she said, there are certain days I just don't want to do this anymore. And, and I understood what she was saying. But she said, when I look into the face of my kids, I realize my why. I'm, I'm, I'm really here for them. They need me. And um, that you'd, she had to be daily reminded of her why. And she said, I had to start my day listening for God's voice to help remind me of why I'm still doing this. And, and today we're going to look at 1 Kings 19. You're going to hear about a guy named Elijah who was near a place of burnout. And like many of us, he had his insufficiencies, his anxieties, his highs, his lows, his weaknesses. He was just an everyday person that, that God would use as really he was the only prophet left of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel this time was in bad shape. King Ahab was not a good person. And it, 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 it was so bad that most of the people of Israel were worshiping a god named Baal. And it, Elijah was the only prophet left, the prophet of God. But there's over 450 prophets of Baal. And thousands of people are following this false idol. And so in 1 Kings 18, the chapter before we're getting ready to read, Elijah calls out these prophets of Baal and says, hey, let's have a face-off, basically. 
we're going we're gonna to offer the same sacrifice. I'll offer, I'll offer sacrifice to the living God. You offer the same sacrifice to Baal. And whichever one gets consumed with fire, that's the true God. Ba- Baal and the prophets say, great, you're on. Let's go to the mountain. Everyone will see it. Thousands of people will be there. The king will be there. And so that's what exactly what they do. And the prophets of Baal lament and they wail and they cry and they pray all day and nothing happens. And Elijah's like trolling them. He's like, hey, where's your prophet of Baal? Maybe he went to the bathroom. He didn't come back. Maybe he's sick and tired. Where's Baal out, everybody? And then Elijah prays over his offering. Fire consumes all of it. And then 1 Kings 18 tells us that Elijah takes the 450 of them and kills them. (laughs) Wow. If you think you're having a bad day, Elijah might top you on that one. And so Elijah does all of these things, and then in 1 Kings 19, you hear what happens next. Word, of course, spreads. The wife of King Ahab, her name is Jezebel, says, I'm going to, basically, I'm going to kill you, Elijah, for what you've done. And this is where we find ourselves, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Basically, you're going to be dead like the people you killed. Then he, Elijah, was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and then he went to the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you will anoint Haziel as king over Aram. So this question, I want to focus on that question, what are you doing here? Because it seems to bookend this, it, these extraordinary manifestations of God. It, these, almost a rhetorical question, what are you doing here, what are you doing here? 
And then there's the silence. God is almost saying to Elijah, what are you doing here? Do you want me to take away your problems or do you want me? There's nothing impossible for me, Elijah. Maybe you need to be reminded of your why. Why are you here? Why are you doing this? Why have you been faithful to me for, for so long and for this very day? And one of the reasons the Bible is true is that it is unflinchingly honest. It is not afraid to show people as they really are. And Elijah here is a human being. He is spent. He's worn out. He has nothing else in his ministry toolbox to give. He's laid it all out there. Before in chapter 18, he's full of faith. He's full of swagger. He's full of all those sorts of things. And he's, now he's saying to God, I'm out of the ministry. I can't do this anymore. In verse 4, he says to God, God, kill me. Take away my life. He knows he shouldn't take his own life. But he's saying, God, I need you to do that for me because I can't go on any longer. So what does God do? He cooks. He cooks for Elijah. He sends an angel to cook for Elijah. Does Does the angel come to him saying, repent? No. Does the angel come to Elijah and say, do you want to talk about it, Elijah? No. Does the angel come to him and say, you look terrible. Do you need a bath? No. He comes to him and cooks for him. He touches him. I love that God knows sometimes in our lives we don't need a lecture or even prayers. Sometimes you just need a good meal and a nap. God knows that we are physical creatures, that sometimes, in order to help your spiritual life, God starts with what Elijah needs the most, and that was a meal and a nap. Sometimes in your lives, as dads, moms, you need to take a walk, sleep in, look at some art or nature or music. God treats this depressed, overwhelmed man with rest, and food. I mean, dads and moms out there, do you need some rest today? Are you asleep right now? Are you awake? You need some food? Food is good for the soul. See, we're, we're holistic creatures. God knows that. We're an integrated system. That there's more to us than just our soul. There's more to us than just our physical nature. We are psychological and emotional creatures, social creatures, and, and God cooks for Elijah and helps him during his hour of need. Secondly, God listens to Elijah. He says to him, what are you doing here? And when, I don't know about you, but when I hear this question, I hear Jesus in that question. That's something he would say. What are you doing here, Elijah? God doesn't need information. It's not like God is saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? You look terrible. No, he doesn't do that. He looks at Elijah and says, what are you doing here? Because when God asks questions, he's not doing it to, he's not doing it to give Elijah information. When God asks you a question or me a question, it's for him to give you information. It's for you to be able to figure it out because God, of course, knows what he's doing there. He wants Elijah to know what are you doing there. Are you running to this cave? Are you overwhelmed with your responsibilities? Just because you want me to take care of all your problems, are you running to this cave to meet with me? Why are you here? Have you forgotten your why? 
it looks, it reminds me of 1 Samuel where it says that the Lord looks on the, on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. The, see, the Lord sees Elijah's heart right now, and he knows exactly what Elijah needs, that, that God deals with us specifically. And so he deals with Elijah specifically in this moment. Here's a man who's attempting to handle his depression, his anxiety, in the only way he knows how. And he runs to self-pity, which is a natural place that many of us would run to when you're overwhelmed with life. And what Elijah needed the most was not the fire and the earthquake and the wind and all of the, 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 tr- the dramatic stuff. What Elijah needed the most was the silence. He needed to hear God's voice. That's what he needed the most. See, he had, he had lost his center in his life. And so God cooks for Elijah and God listens to Elijah. But then lastly, God also gently corrects him with power. See, this is interesting. Elijah goes to what's called Mount Horeb, which the scripture says is called the mountain of God. Another translation for Horeb is Mount Sinai. So these, the centuries before, the same mountain where uh, Moses met with God and got received the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, the same mountain where Moses said to God, God says, Moses, what do you want? And Moses said, I want to see your glory. Moses could have asked for anything. And he said, I just want to see your glory. And God said, I'll show you the train, but you can't see my face. No one can look upon me and live. So I will pass by. I will hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I will pass by, and you will see my glory. And some commentators think that this same cleft of the rock that Elijah is in is the same spot that Moses stood on Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then God shows this dizzying manifestations of his power. Of course, you have to include the angel of the Lord being sent. Then you have wind splitting rocks apart, an earthquake, and fire. But the the passage says that God was not in any of those things, but that he sent those things to Elijah. And you see this throughout the scripture, like for when God showed up with Moses, the burning bush, fire. When the Holy Spirit showed up in in the, the apostles in Pentecost, fire and wind. And the ultimate manifestation here that Elijah needed the most was not all of that, but was the silence. That God is there in that still, small voice. And he's gentle with Elijah. He's, he's patient with him in his brokenness, in his weakness. He's very careful with Elijah. And Elijah is in a deep place of self-pity. And as dads, you, you can go to those places. I've been to those places where you feel overwhelmed. As parents, we, we, we go there. And you think, I have done everything for this kid. And they can't even talk to me right now. They're not even acknowledging all that I'm doing every single day. Elijah is like that as well. He's saying, God, I did everything you told me to do. I, I'm trying to overthrow Jezebel and Ahab. I've, I've gotten rid of these false prophets. I, we had the showdown, and it worked. And I'm trying to do it. And it's, it doesn't seem like it's working. And God does eventually speak to him. And God does have a plan for Elijah. As you saw the last verse, he says, go to this nation and anoint this next king. That he had something else for Elijah to do. But before he did that, he needed Elijah to know, my plans are not always going to line up with your plan, Elijah. My ways are not your ways. Don't put me in a box and think you're going to tell me what I need to do. I know what you need more than you know what you need. 
My ways are not your ways. And so he deals with him in a way that Elijah needs the most. Like look at my, like verse 11, it, God says to Elijah, go out on the mountain and I'm gonna pass by. Well, clearly Elijah retreats back into the cave because he can't, because we know he comes out with his face covered in order to, to hear this sheer silence that comes over the mountain. Why did, why did God do that? He's saying to Elijah, I did all the miracles you just saw, the prophets of Baal, and the people still didn't repent. I did all of that, and it still didn't work. It still didn't change anyone's lives. So why are you really here? Because if you're expecting me to wipe everybody out, that's not what people need the most. What people need the most is, is my voice, is my peace, is my word. That's what people need. The sheer silence, that still, small voice. What people need the most is my peace and my presence. Especially you right now, Elijah, need to be reminded of that. And it's not just the word of God that people need, but it is a word of grace. It reminds me in the story of Luke 9 when uh, John the Baptist is in prison and he sends a messenger to speak to Jesus, his cousin, and says to Jesus, when are you going to, uh, do, where's the fire, Jesus? I'm in prison. I'm your cousin, and I'm about to be killed. When are you going to do all the spectacular stuff? When are you going to take care of all this, Jesus? And Jesus' response is, John, if I sent the fire, no one could survive it, not even you. I have not come to bring the judgment, but I have come to bear the judgment for the world. So God's ways aren't our ways. He's saying to Elijah, let me be God, not you. I want to do something as we close today that I think is, is important. You know, it remind, I was reminded the other day that um, Jesus famously gives the Great Commission at the end of, especially the Gospel of Matthew. And he says, go forth and you preach the gospel to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that we forget that Jesus gave, he said something else after that. He said, wait, Right? He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And they waited for 10 days. And as they waited, they, 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 they had to re- be filled with the Holy Spirit to do what they needed to do. And I think as, as parents, especially as fathers, if, if, we don't, if we aren't filled with the Holy Spirit by faith, uh, our human spirit will fail. And like I said earlier, when I held my son for the first time, I realized I can't love him the way he deserves. But that God through me can do that. So I want to ask all the dad, if you're a dad, a granddad, a, a father figure of any kind, I'm going to ask if you would stand, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray a blessing on you. And if you've got people around you that would like to put a hand on you, uh, that's perfectly fine as well. Because guys, you don't walk this road alone. There will be days where you know you don't, you don't have what it takes, but that God has what it takes through you to do great work. So let's pray together that we would remember our why, that he has entrusted us with this gift of fatherhood. Lord, I I lift to you these men in front of us this morning. We thank you, God, for them. And God, we pray that we receive your Holy Spirit here and now by faith. Renew it within us. Renew your presence within us. God, we bring to you the ways that we know we fall short. 
bring to you the burdens when we feel overwhelmed. We bring to you the mistakes that we made, the words that we wish we hadn't said. And instead, God, we breathe out of ourselves and I pray they would breathe in your Holy Spirit and that they would love their children, their grandchildren, the lives around them as you have first loved them, that you, our Father, are the example for us to follow, that this is a new day and that through you, you are making all things new. Bless these men, their households, their jobs, their careers, their relationships, and may the peace of Christ rest upon them.